fun run. And then the next one is fun run. Emails. Yeah. Oh, oh, you missed a couple of them. Look, there's me. Be the homeless on Wednesdays, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why does my hair look like that? Because it does. Because it does. The next women's study is Thursday, September 1st, 6 p.m. Okay. So far. <laughs> the next men's study. So we kind of split it up. We're doing Friday night and Saturday morning. Whatever works best for whoever's coming. So the next one will be Friday, September 2nd, and then Saturday, September 3rd, and or. Youth group, is it time to start our youth group again? Now we're back at school? Yeah. Friday, this Friday night, August 26th? Not Friday. Well, I think you have to do Fridays. Thursday. Well, we're doing Thursdays, but I don't know if I'll be able to do Thursday. Especially this week. But Friday's the end of school and nobody wants to do anything on Fridays. Oh, you don't? Okay. Well, we can think about that. But right now, it's this Friday. 6 p.m. You're the tongue, right? You're the tongue, right? <laughs> That's right. And then, there you go. The fun run. So, in October 22nd, in Elizabeth, at Harvest Bible Church, they're going to have a, a 5K run, and it benefits, the proceeds benefit the Alternative Pregnancy Center. This Alternatives is a, a pregnancy center that offers, you want to talk to that, Shane, what all it offers? Um, they offer, well, so they started on like a bus, but now they're like, they have facilities and they have lots of them, but they give them basically what it says, alternatives um uh to hit besides abortion so they give them an opportunity to get your um ultrasounds done they can provide supplies for the baby after they're born they provide counseling they provide a numerous unbelievable amount of things so there's a different alternative besides abortion and it's for the men and women both i think people get a little caught up in the it's just for the women it's for the men to step into and because I, and then there's another one we, we've talked about the stork bus. If you involve the men into something like that, there's less of a chance for them to um, result in having an abortion. So. so the stork bus is a cool one and that's a cool story. So the stork buses, there's I think 54 of them across the nation in 27 states. And what they really do save the storks they're based out of Colorado Springs, but they're really the ones that set up the buses and get all the training done. Um, but all the buses are owned by either pregnancy centers or churches, um, but it's not a small fee, you know, to, to buy a bus and to, to run it and manage it. So typically larger churches, um, but in Elizabeth, we get together on Friday mornings and we've been talking about just doing something, bringing one of those buses into the county or into into Elizabeth, um, but weren't sure how that worked. So we talked to them this week, and they said that God had put it on their heart a couple weeks ago that they need to own their own bus, the, the Storks, save the Storks, because they don't own any buses. They just set them up and send them to other people. So it seemed like God is putting all that together, um, and it sounds like it'd be owned by them, and different churches would help fund it. Um, it's a pretty large cost, but 
but then it would be a bus in Colorado that would go around to different areas of Colorado that don't normally go to. So, so that was cool to see, cool to listen to, and cool to be a part of. Um, and yes, they all kind of go together. They work together, and they all, the stork buses, their stats are that four out of five women that get on a bus choose to give life and, and not have the abortion, so it's pretty high stat, a lot higher than protesting at an abortion clinic. So it's pretty cool. Um, and then if the may, if the man's with them, the stats are even higher that they don't have an abortion. The, I think one thing we have to realize is the women in that situation feel very alone and they feel like they're the one that's done something wrong and they're all in this position of secretive. And it's like, okay, we all, again, we all fall short. So they, they get, they feel like they feel like they're segregated regardless of what decision they choose to make. And that's a huge thing is if you're just pounding stump, something down their throat, it doesn't work. It, yeah. it's, it's all in love. And another statistic that the storks have is uh, that four out of ten women that have an abortion attend church regularly. So that, that happens inside the church and people don't talk about it. People don't know about it. Um, the church can take some very hard stances on different issues, and this is one of them. Um, and abortion is wrong. Um, by no no means is anybody justifying it, but when you come down very harsh on people, they tend to not talk and, and stray away. And if they're in the church and you're not loving on them, the church is doing a big disservice. So that's the update on that, which we're excited about. The last announcement, which I didn't do a slide for, is we have CU at the poll, September oh, yeah. 23rd. At the school. At Legacy. Legacy. Yeah. Yeah, huh? Ah. Are you ready for that? Yes. I yes, you are. All of us like for sure to be there. Yeah, it's very neat time. It's usually early in the morning. I think it's like seven or seven fifteen, and we just meet the flagpole and we pray for the school and for the nation and yeah. So um, I always have a hard time with people who say because I hear in the church a lot, oh you can't pray in school. I, oh, who said that? <laughs> You know, and and who says that? Mostly the ones that I hear are pastors and, and church people. People that are going to church, oh, you can't pray in school. That's absolutely not true. It could be further from the truth. Um, you can't pray in school. This is one of the times that we pray. Um, school board meetings. Yeah, you can go pray at a school board meeting. Students can pray at school anytime they want. Student-led prayer is always okay at school. And even if there's some kind of law, it's a law drawn in the sand. So anyways, that's the other announcement. But I didn't do a slide for that one well, next week. Email updates. Uh, if you send me your email, we just send out an email once a week to let you know what's going on. I think I missed it last week, though, huh? Now that I think about it. So, but normally it's just one email a week, and it lets you know what we have going on for the week. Um, so if you want to be part of that, let me have your, send me your email, and I'll put you on the list. With the email... Um, like the people that haven't made it, or like Leanne, or she, she'll you do the you put the. Oh yep, yeah. yeah. So in the email, there's a link to go listen to all the teachings. <coughs> so if you miss a week, you can go back and listen to it, because um, we are going through Romans, so it all builds on each other. Um, Paul is leading us through this, you know, very methodically, and we're kind of taking it piece by piece. So, so if you're worried that you missed a week, you can always go back and listen to them. There's there's a link in the email to to listen to all of the all of the previous teachings that we've done. So with that, 
Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the work that you do in each of our lives. I just ask that you would draw us closer to you, that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us in truth, that you would help us to be a light and a witness um, today and this week to all those around us, that you've put us in the places um, that we are in for a reason, for a purpose, that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. Help us to walk in those good deeds that you set up for us long ago. Lord, I just thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross. He's willing to forgive each and every one of our sins, no matter what they are, and that you remove them from our record. That's how much you love us. I just ask that you would draw us closer to you, open up our ears, open up our hearts. Let the words be spoken today, be your words. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. So we are going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue on through chapter 8. We're going to be in verse 18. We'll start there. So we've been through the book of Romans, and Paul has kind of led us methodically through what's taken place. He's made it very clear that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that he came to sacrifice himself for our sins, and that when we believe in him, we have salvation. And there's no other way to salvation. No works that we do. And he's going to, again kind of reaffirm that today. We're going to go through that. But he also lets us know that everything is a choice. You know, the last couple of weeks we've been over this battle that we have, you know, before we were saved, we chained ourselves to sin. We willingly did it. You know, we've talked through that. You know, we willingly um, shackled ourselves to these different sins and then we became a slave to them. No matter what we tried to do, you could, couldn't get away from them. The only thing that breaks the power of of those sins, that slavery, that chain, is Jesus' work on the cross. He's bigger than that. He defeated sin and death on the cross. And he took away, he paid the penalty for our sins. We went through this. The Bible says that our sins were nailed to the cross. So God took those sins out on the cross. Jesus paid that price. And that's how he's able to remove them from our record. He doesn't bring them up again. You know, Once we've asked for forgiveness, he removes it. He never holds it over our head. He never brings it up again. Um, and we saw that when we looked in Romans chapter 4, and we looked at what it said about Abraham, and Abraham was, was faithful. And then we went back to the Old Testament. Well, he wasn't. He laughed. He didn't believe God. In fact, he said, well, God, let Ishmael be the son of your promise. You know, let me help you out, God. You got this, you're kind of behind. You've got this screwed up, so I'm going to help you. Ishmael can be this son that you promised and will be good. So he did not believe. But I would say to you that he asked for forgiveness and that Jesus died on the cross, and he took that sin away also. And that we read the account in the New Testament, and God doesn't write that down. God, God doesn't bring that up, because God's removed it from his record. So God, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. God just does what he says he'll do. So, um, but leading up to this, everything is a choice. You know, the last few weeks we've been talking about the battle in our mind after we've been saved. You know, we're no longer chained to these sins. We're no longer a slave to them. But we can willingly walk into those sins. We can willingly um, do that. And it's a choice. It's a choice to, to sow to the spirit or to sow to the flesh. Is what we, we went through the last couple of weeks. And everything that we have in life is a choice. Whether we choose to believe in Jesus or not, that's a choice. Whether we choose to walk in faith or we choose to, to walk in sin, that's a choice. God has given us a choice every step of the way. And it's our choice. And, and I'd say God has painfully done this. If you think like your kids, if you ever allowed your kids to, 
or your kids have ever made a bad decision and then they have to suffer through those consequences. It's not easy to watch them do that by any means. It can be very painful, right? You'd so love to step in and, and take over for them. But you know the best thing for them is to learn that experience. And God's done that with us. He's painfully let us make bad decisions along the way. So I would say it's, it's nothing lightly. So nothing is out of our control. Nothing we were, oh, I couldn't control it or I had no control over this. No, everything is our choice. Whether we believe in Jesus, whether we walk in faith or we walk in sin, it's all our choice. And he's going to kind of, Paul's going to make that even more clear today, I think. So, so we'll get started. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Um, for the most part, we'll be in the New Living Translation today. Yet we suffer now. I'm sorry. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children are. So when Paul says that we suffer now, Paul's suffering was not light by any means. You know, Paul kind of lets us know, sums it up, but he was shipwrecked. He was beaten many times. He was stoned. They thought he was dead outside the city. You know, so his suffering was, was not light. But even then, he says, compared to all the suffering he went through, it's nothing compared to the glory. When he gets to heaven, when he's with Jesus, when he's in his glorified state, in his glorified body, all this suffering will be no big deal to him. You know, it's nothing in comparison. So, and for Paul to say that, that's, that's not a light statement. You know, in this early church, for anyone in the early church to say that, that's not a light statement. Um, the Roman emperor about this time was a man named Nero, and he was awful, awful to the church. Um, he would do things like um, put them on, put the, the early church on a, on a pole in his garden and cover them in tar and light them on fire and say, you want to be the light of the world, or you can be the light of my garden. You know, so, so for these guys to say that this was light suffering or light afflictions or not that big a deal, it was a big deal. So, but compared to the glory that was about to come, he said it was all worth it. So um, we'll continue on here. Verse 20, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So we have this eager hope. And we've been over this. Hope is not like a worldly hope. Um, the godly hope is a guarantee. It's not a hope like a wish. Um, it's, you know, I, I hope this goes well today. Or It's kind of like a 50-50 shot. No, no, no. God's hope is a guarantee. So, so that's one thing that we, we need to take in here, that all of creation is eagerly hoping. That creation knows that the curse will end someday. Um, so in the creation, when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, that this curse that came in, which we're going to go to that, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at what this curse is. That when that came in, that, that the curse also affected God's creation. You know, so, so God's creation was that there wouldn't be death and decay in, the, in creation. The pine beetles wouldn't kill my trees. You know, that was never got part of God's plan. That's not what he had planned or intended. Um, so, 
and that even right now creation is eagerly waiting for for God to to do what he says he's going to do and we're going to take a look at that we're going to take a look at the curse and we're going to take a look at God's promise so we'll get through all all the Bible but we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 and we're going to take a look at what is this curse So at this point, the, the serpent has deceived Eve, um, and Adam was with her at the time, and they both ate of the fruit, the, the only command that God said. Um, and, and God said, don't eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and I would say to you that God had showed them what was good, that they were learning God. God was good, and everything he created was good. But they had this desire, well, I don't know everything. I want to know evil. And that God wanted to protect them from that evil. But they willingly, again, it all starts here. They had a choice. Why was the tree in the garden? Why was the choice there? Because we've been over this. Love is a choice. And God loves us. And if we choose to love God, it's our choice, right? Love isn't a feeling. I feel like I love God or I feel like I'm in right standing with God. No, we choose to love God. We choose to... Uh, walk with him. So we'll look at this this curse here. So this is after they've sinned and, and God's um, found them. Not that they were ever lost. He knew where they were at. He knew what they did. But he's uh, asked them, what have you done? Because he wants a confession from them. That's the first step to repentance. Confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness. So, so we'll pick it up here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent... Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast in the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is important, um, and the reason we're reading in the New King James is because it calls out, your seed and her seed. And that's very important because women don't have seed. Men have seed. So for to say that your seed, talking to the woman, it's talking of the virgin birth. So nothing caught God by surprise. God wasn't surprised when man sinned. Before God created the earth, he had this plan. This plan that he'd send his son to save us. And he makes that clear. And we're going to get into more of that today. That's what Paul's going to get into. So that's why we're going through, this isn't the curse on the earth that or the curse the creation is suffering, but it's important too because it all ties together. That's what I love about the Bible. It all ties together. From Genesis to Revelation, it all ties together. So to say that man wrote it by himself, we went over this yesterday, it can't, can't be. There's no way that man was this smart to get it all to fit together just right. You know. So, and then when you get into the language and, and, and the original language and, and how that all fits together in the especially like names in the Bible, in, in the Hebrew, names were very important. They had meanings. And when you get into those meanings, those names, and how it all fits together, it's amazing. So I'm very thankful for that. But it's important to read that her seed, so that's Jesus, and that he shall bruise your head. He's saying that to the serpent. So Jesus shall deceive Satan, and Satan will bruise Jesus' heel. So on the cross, this took place. Jesus defeated sin and death. We've been over this. We learned this, that the, the, the rulers and the principalities, uh, the, Satan and his demons have no more power. That, that their power was taken away on the cross. And that um, while 
the enemy, while Satan bruised Jesus' heel, it was more of a nuisance. It wasn't the death blow like Jesus gave to them. So now we'll look at the curse. So this is what he says to the woman. Continuing on in verse 16. So to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So this is part of the curse. God will multiply the woman's sorrow and multiply her conception. So that's an interesting sidebar. and We won't go too far down that road, but it appears that the original intent of God was that there wouldn't be that as much conception as there is now. So that maybe God's original plan was that earth would be slowly populated. Not like it is now, but it's very interesting that he says he'll multiply your conception. In pain, you'll bear children. Your desire will be for your husband. Um, and I don't think this is like a desire, like a longing, like I love to spend time with my husband. The, the New Living Translation says that your desire shall be to control your husband. Um, and I couldn't quite make that connection with the, the Hebrew words, but I don't think it's a desire that you have this longing, loving desire for your husband. I think it's a, more of a, a different desire. And that the New Living Translation may be a little bit closer to it. You have this desire to control, and he shall rule over you. And I thought, well, maybe that doesn't really what it means, and he won't really rule over you. No, that's exactly what every single of those words means. But that doesn't mean that that's what God intended. This is the curse. This is the result of sin. So I don't think that was God's original plan, that the, that the husband would rule over the wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read, we look at the roles of men and women, um, husbands and wives, and before he says anything about the wives submitting, he tells each of us to submit to each other, one to another, right? So I'm to submit to Shannon, Shannon's to submit to me. We're to, to lead as one, right? We are one. God makes that clear. Just a, a few verses back here in Genesis, he makes that clear, that the man and the woman shall be one. So, so not where God originally intended, but where we are at now. Uh, then to continue on here in verse 17, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil shall, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So the earth is cursed because of Adam. God makes that clear here. Um, and I, we get to see that. We get to see all the weeds that grow up, all the thorns and thistles without any work that that promise is true, that that would come easy. And the, and the things that we want to grow take lots of work to do. The gardens, the, the grains, the, the fruit, the, the food that we need, that we eat, the grass that we grow that looks aesthetically pleasing to us. It's all hard work, right? But the thorns and thistles come easy. So this is one way I think that God's showing us this, my word is absolutely true. Um, and the word is dust. The, the, we shouldn't be proud or boastful 
we're dust and we'll return to dust someday, is what God says. So, so that's the curse. The curse is that the, 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 that the ground will no longer produce. So before the curse in the garden, the ground just naturally, all these great, wonderful things just naturally grew. Easy. No hard work. Um, but not the case now. Now creation is suffering from death and decay, just like our bodies are. Our bodies weren't originally created like this. Death and decay wasn't in our bodies. We were, God had intended us to live forever in perfect harmony with him. But he knew this would happen, and he already had a plan. He had a plan that his son Jesus would come save us. So now we've seen the curse, what the curse is. But it, we read that Romans, that creation is eagerly looking forward to, to a day without death and decay, of freedom from that. So let's take a look at where... That is, and that is in Revelation chapter 21. So Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. I heard a loud sound, a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All of these things are gone forever. So this is what creation is looking forward to. When Paul's talking about this in Romans, this is what he's looking forward to. This is what we should be looking forward to. This is the promise that we have. That there will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. There are no more tears. That God's going to take all that away. That he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that we're, he's going to dwell with us. We'll be his people and we'll be with him. So no more back pain, no more knee pain, no more uh, any pains, no more headaches, no more any of that. It's a, a new body that we'll get. And we're going to go, and we're going to talk through that, and where does the Bible say that we get these new bodies? So let's go back to Romans, though, and we'll continue on through there. So Romans chapter 8, verse 23. <clears throat> And we, believers, also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait eagerly, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So we also long for the day to be separated from sin and suffering and death and decay, right? Don't we all long for that? Don't we all get tired of, of living in this world and the sufferings and the toils and the, the sins that we, we'd willingly choose to walk into and then are convicted of and, and have remorse for? We long for that day to be rid of all that. Um, because this is not what God had originally intended. What God originally created was good and then sent into the world through man's selfishness through man's selfish desires and we can say well if adam and eve hadn't sinned we'd be there 
No, because if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, we would have sinned. We would have screwed this up long ago. So, But the day will come when we become, uh, we have the full rights of his adopted children. When we choose to believe in Jesus, we become God's children at that moment. But we don't have the, the full benefits of that. We're told that, that in the end we become co-heirs with Christ. So you think of an heir receiving an inheritance from your family. Well, God the Father is, is giving Jesus an inheritance. And the Bible says, we went over this last week, that we get to be co-heirs in that inheritance. We get to share in that. We've done nothing to earn it, and that's what grace is. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and we deserve to hear the guilty verdict. We're all guilty of sin. Mercy is, is not hearing that, but getting that pardon instead. And then grace takes it one step further. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And here we get this inheritance, and we've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. But God gives it to us because he loves us. So um, I do want to take a look at where else it talks about our new bodies. Um, and it goes into a little bit more details in Philippians um, chapter 3, verse 20. And you don't have to go there. It'll be up on the screen. Um, but I do want to take a look at that. We'll take a look at this and then we'll come right back to Romans. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven... We are the Lord Jesus, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So remember, we're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of this earth, right? This is our temporary home. We're only here for a little while. Our eternal home is in heaven with God. And, and we're told that at some point, God builds a new heaven and a new earth, and that's where he'll dwell with us. And that's where our, our forever home will be. But, but we're citizens of heaven, not here. So we can't take this earthly view of this short-sighted view of what's going on in our lives. That's what Paul was saying. These sufferings that we suffer now are nothing compared to the glory that's to come. This life is but a vapor, the Bible says. Um, we're here for a little while, and then we're gone. But all of eternity, we're in paradise. So, so don't take a short-sighted view of what's going on here. Take the long-sighted view that God is on the throne, no matter what happens, and that his promises will always come true. Um, and here we're promised these glorified bodies, um, just like Jesus' body. So no more hurting, no more pain, no more death and decay in our bodies. We'll have these glorified bodies. I always ask Shannon if... Uh, when she gets her new glorified body, if she'll still hang out with me in heaven, she assures me that she will. That, that look didn't look very, I don't know, I'm very confident now. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> your glorified body or No, mine? yours. When oh. you get your new glorified body, oh, you're still going to hang out with me. Mine's going to look like Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's quite what he meant. <laughs> That's what I'm praying for. So, so, I'm like, that one looks good to me. So we'll we'll go back to Romans. Chapter 8, verse 24. We can visit that later. (laughs) That can be in the questions and answers time. (laughs) So, So Romans 8, 24. So we were given this hope. And remember, we've been over hope. It's a guarantee. When we were saved, 
If we already had something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And that's where we hear, again, this confident hope, this guarantee, not this wish of hope, not like the world does. And we've talked about this before too. You know, God created all these things this way, but we came into the world and knew the world first. So we think God's turning it upside down. Really, he's not. He just turned it right side up. So hope has always been a guarantee, but the world perverted it and, and said, no, it's a wish. And, and God is making it clear to us, nope, it is a guarantee. That's the hope I offer, not a worldly hope. And there's some other words that, that God and the world um, see opposites on. Peace is one of those. You know, Jesus said, the peace I offer is not like the peace of the world. The peace of the world is this idea of absence of conflict, which will never be, not this side of eternity. But the peace Jesus offers us is the peace to go through the conflict. So, uh, We'll continue on here in verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for believers in harmony with God's own will. Um, so if we think we aren't very good at praying, well, and many people say that, I, I'm not very good at prayer, I don't know how to pray, or I don't do it right. Well, number one, all prayer is, is just having a conversation with God. Can you have a conversation with your dad? Mm-hmm, no. no. Then that's all prayer is, is having a conversation yeah. with God. <laughs> Between the ages of 13 and 16, it's probably more difficult, huh? <laughs> so that's all it is. But even if we really are convinced that we're not very good at praying, here God makes it clear to us, well, then I have the Holy Spirit who's praying for you with groans that aren't even expressed in words. Um, and that there is no more perfect prayer because we've been over this, where Jesus said, when you pray these things in my name, I'll grant them to you. And we went over, well, there's some criteria that fits there. He was always speaking, one, to believers, and two, when we pray prayers that line up with God's will. And again, we read that here. The Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. God always answers those prayers. God always grants those prayers when it lines up with His will. And how do we know what His will is? Well, His will is here in the Bible. When we know what the Bible says, we know what His will is. So when we pray for things that line up with His will, when we pray for God, God, bless my marriage. That lines up with his will. He answers it every single time. God, help me to love my enemies. That's what his will is. That's what the Bible tells us to do. He answers it every single time. So, um, we're also, we won't get, all, we'll end in, in verse 30 today, but Romans 8.34, the Bible says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God pleading for us. Um, and Romans 8.31, we also won't get to that one. If God is for us, who can be against us? So now we have the Holy Spirit praying for us. Jesus at the right hand of God pleading for us. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? That's the power that we have. That's how much he loves us. That um, He has given us every opportunity to be successful, to succeed in knowing him and in growing closer to him. He gives us all those opportunities. So, um, Continue on here in verse 28. So this is a, 
people often, most people know this verse, but most people don't quote all of the verse. They'll quote the first part of it. And I want to talk through that because it's important. So Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So the, the verse doesn't say God works everything for good, right? So this is a promise that, again, he makes to believers. Just like when Jesus said, when you pray for anything in my name, well, it's not a promise to everyone. That's a promise to believers. This is a promise to believers. That we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Well, if he's got to work it for good, then there's things in our lives that weren't good to take place or weren't good that happened, right? Because otherwise he wouldn't have to work it for good if it was always good. So again, we're told here that we're going to have trials and suffering in our life. But God is going to work it for good for his believers, for all of his believers. Um, And then we get to this word called. And what are we called? We're called according to his purpose. He has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And he's calling us into that work. And the purpose and plan that he has for my life is different from the purpose and the plan that he has for Shannon's or the purpose and the plan that he has for your life. They're all different purposes and plans, but he has a purpose and a plan for each one of our lives. We, we see that here. Um, and these words are going to become more important in the next couple of verses. And that's why we're going to end in verse 30, because it's going to take us a little while to get through the next couple. Because um, we're going to focus on these words and kind of go slowly through it. And some of you are probably thinking, well, how much slower can we go? <laughs> we can go a lot slower. So, <laughs> um, so continuing on here in verse 29. So verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And that's the New New Living Translation that says, gave them his glory. Maybe it's a minor technicality, but I don't think God shares his glory with anyone. The New American Standard Bible and the New King James, and we'll look at those, says that um, he also glorified them. So I don't think it's ever his glory because he doesn't share his glory, but he has a separate glory for us that he and he alone can give to us. So just a minor correction there, but I do want to point it out because I think it's important. But I do want to go through a few of these words. Um, So God knew who would believe in him before he created the earth. That's what we read here. We're going to go to a few other places that that also call that out. God foreknew um, his people in advance. God knew in advance who would... God knew before he created the earth, he knew exactly how every one of our lives would play out. He had every detail planned out. Um, He knew every choice we'd make it. So it's not that we didn't have a choice in it all, but he knew every choice in advance. It's kind of like the ultimate game of chess, and he's played out the whole scenario um, long before. Every move that God made... He had a plan for, and he worked everything for his purpose, right? And he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And he knows when we'll walk into that, at what moment, um, 
And he's constantly, the Holy Spirit is constantly calling out to us, pointing us to Jesus before we were believers. So, and this is important because I, I think if we look at this in, in different lights, this can bring some hopelessness. And that's not what God is. God is the God of hope, the Bible tells us. Um, so before he created the earth also, he had this plan for salvation. And we see that in Genesis. It's not that, and there is a teaching out there that you know, God kind of learns as we learn. No, that's not true at all. God knew in advance everything that would happen. So when man sinned, it wasn't that God was quick on his feet. Oh, I got this. I'll do this. No, no, no. God knew before he ever created the earth, the man would sin and that he would send his son as a sacrifice for our sin to make us right with God, to put us back in right standing. That was always his plan. Before he ever created the earth, that was his plan. Um, that his son would pay the penalty for our sins. And then once we step into that salvation, once we believed, he also had this plan. Um, the Bible calls it sanctification. Um, and we won't get deep into that. But really what sanctification is, is it's, um, you look at the definition, it's to be rendered holy or to be set apart. Um, and I think of that, Jesus was set apart from sin. Jesus never sinned. That's how he could defeat death on the cross. Um, so, so Jesus was set apart. And when we believe in Jesus, when we're saved, we go through this process of being more like him, being more set apart. Um, you can think of your lives as, I once lived a sinful life, and now I live the, uh, the opposite. And I don't live a sinless life, but I sin a whole lot less. If I can look at my life now and my life when I first got saved, I sin a whole lot less than even when I first got saved. I'm growing closer to God. And be more set apart from sin. And that's really what sanctification is. It's this being set apart. And God had determined that that would happen before he created the earth. So he had always had that planned as well. So he had the plan of salvation through his son. He had the plan of sanctification that we would be more set apart. More set apart from sin the more we walk with God. That was always his plan for us. Um, less living in the flesh, more living in the spirit. And it's our choice. Remember, it's not an uncontrollable thing, but we've been over this the last couple of weeks. It's our choice to walk in the Spirit and choose to deny the flesh. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus told us. Um, and that Jesus would be the firstborn, um, the first of many. We've kind of been over this, and we won't go over it in detail, but he was the, the first to go into heaven. He was the first to ascend. He was the first... Um, he was the first one to rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. He was the first fruits, the first. He is the most important, the best. When God wants our, our sacrifice of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, he wants the first portion of it, the best of it. And that's what he's given this example, who Jesus is. Jesus is that first fruits, the, the best. And that Jesus was the first to return to his father. So when we look at verse 29 here, he knew his people in advance and he chose them. So people get caught up in this word chosen, but I think the best thing is scripture interprets scripture, right? So he chose them. What did he chose them for? He chose them to be like his son, right? He chose us to be like, go through the sanctification process, more like Jesus. We see that in verse 29. And then he called them. So he called them, and what did he call us to? Well, we read in verse 28, just above, that he called us according to his purpose. He called us to a work, to do a work for him. 
We're going to go to a few other places in the Bible that also clarify this. So he chose us to be like his son, right? I don't read that he chose us for salvation anywhere here. And that he called us to, to walk in his work. He called us for a plan and a purpose. He's calling us to do a work that he's called us to do. Make sense? Chose us to be like his son, to go through this sanctification process, to be set apart, and that he called us for a purpose. He has a purpose and a plan for our lives, and he's called us into that work. So those are the, the two words, and we'll look at a few other places that make this clear also. Um, but I also want to look at the, the New American Standard Bible um, and some of the these three verses over there and, and kind of what it says. You use a little different words, in, and I just want to make it clear because this is a, an area where people get hung up. And I think we already struggle enough with, am I really saved? Can God really forgive me after what I've done? And the enemy wants to come attack in our thought lives and say, no, you can't be forgiven for that. God really can't use you. Look at all the bad you've done. You know, I've been there myself, and, and it's, the enemy comes after all of us in that way. I don't know of anyone that he hasn't, that doesn't think, that, that doesn't struggle with one salvation at any point in their life, or doesn't struggle with, can God really use me? Um, so, so Romans, we'll read it through in the, the New American Standard Bible, Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So he's predetermined that we'd be sanctified, we'd be more like Jesus each and every day. And he foreknew, he knew who would choose him, who would receive his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, so he predetermined that we'd be like his son, he also called, he called us for a purpose, and these whom he called, he also justified. Um, or we didn't touch on this on the other side, but on the other side it's um, in right standing, is what the New Living Translation says justified is. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And I think that's correct. It's not his glory. I think he has a separate glory for us that he and he alone can give to us. So we'll look at these. We'll continue on and look at these three words a little deeper. The predestined, which is also chosen. Um, if you take notes, you could write down chosen and predestined next to, next to each other. Called, he uses that in both this translation and the other one. Um, and then right standing and justified are the two words that are kind of interchangeable. And we just want to take a look at each of those three words. Um, so... To start, we'll jump over to 2 Timothy 1.9. And we'll kind of bounce around, but all the verses will be on the screen so you can see them. So 2 Timothy 1.9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that is what his plan was from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. And now he has made all of us, now he has made all of this plan. <laughs> Let me start that one again. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality 
through the good news. So God called us again to live a holy life. He has a plan and purpose for us, and he's calling us into that, um, to a life set apart. And this was his plan from before the beginning of time. And what was his plan? His plan was to show us his grace through Jesus Christ, to show us how much he loves us, that even though we've sinned, he loves us so much, he wants a relationship with us, that he sent Jesus to make us, put us back in right standing. When we confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, we're in right standing with God. Um, so let's, we're going to jump to Ephesians 2.8 and look at another place where it kind of clears this up. So Ephesians 2, or chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's a choice. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ, so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. So we're saved by faith. Faith is a choice, not by works. Salvation is a gift from God. Right here. It's nothing we've done to earn it. It's God's gift. It was his plan long ago that this is how he would... um, Restore our relationship with him. Um, And that he had this plan again before the beginning of time. Before he ever created the earth, this was his plan. That he would send his son as a sacrifice for us. He knew who would receive his son and that he had a plan for our lives. Called us into do a work for him. Um, the, The last verse there. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I think the New King James says, so that we can step into the good works he has set up for us. It's our choice to follow him or not. Our choice to sow to the flesh or sow to the spirit. And it's our choice to step into these good works. But he planned these good works for us long ago. So we'll continue on. Um, I want to look at, I think we've kind of been over the, the chosen and the called part of it. But now I want to look at the justified. And this is, this is one of my favorite areas of scripture. And it's Luke chapter 18. And if, if you want to turn there, if there's some verses, I think there's definitely some verses that you want to highlight. Um, but this, I think, definitely clears up what does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be right with God? So Luke chapter 18 starting in verse 10. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. Then in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. As he prayed, instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And then this is Jesus speaking here in verse 14. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. 
For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So justified, being in right standing with God. Another way to, to look at that um, or define that is just as if you'd never sinned. So, so who went back home, um, washed clean, um, justified, the record was wiped clean, it was the sinner. And there's another area of scripture that, that talks about, Jesus says that he came for those who know they are sinners, not for those who think they are righteous. And that's exactly what this is saying here. Jesus came for the sinners. Um, and, and to receive Jesus, you have to first admit that you need him, that I'm a sinner, I've lived a sinful life, and that I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me from my sins, and that person is Jesus. So, um, and then we're washed clean. We're washed clean by the blood of Jesus. When we think about that, if you've ever washed a white garment in blood, it's not white when it comes out, right? <laughs> so, but the, the blood of Jesus is that perfect atonement for our sins that a perfect cleansing for our sins so we'll finish off here in john chapter 3 verse 16 for god loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So everyone, everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Not some, but everyone. Not a select few, but everyone. Jesus came to save the world. Not a small remnant, he came for everyone. And everyone who chooses him will have eternal life. So it's a choice. Paul's made that clear all the way through. Our, our choice to receive Jesus, it's a choice, not something out of our control. Our choice to walk in faith, um, our choice to sow to the, the spirit and not to the flesh, it's all a choice. It's a choice to trust God and his word when we're going through tough times. God, I don't see how you could work this for good. This is an awful situation. But he promises us, he guarantees us that he will work it for good. And it's a choice to believe that. It's a choice. Everything we have is a choice. And God painfully gave us that choice. He has watched us make bad decisions and watched us suffer through those consequences. And it wasn't easy for him to do. So he painfully allowed that to happen, allowed us to make those mistakes. That one day in hopes that we would choose him, that we would choose that we need him in our lives. And it is a choice. Everything is a choice. It's our choice, right? And it's our choice whether or not to love him. That's the love that he, he goes over, over and over again. This agape love, this self-sacrificing love. I can choose to do that or I can choose not to. It's not a feeling that I have. It's a choice. Love is a choice. So, and I, I just don't think we can say that enough. It's a choice that we have. Um, and the reason I hit on that is, is that there is some that believe out there that God predestined salvation for some people. But I just don't see how the scripture lines up. I don't see how the Bible lines up with that. That that would mean that we don't have this choice. And then the other teaching of that is that, that God is control of everything, which he is not. And that's not a right teaching. And that one really bothers me because I have a friend um, who his girlfriend is not a believer. And when you talk to her about why she's not a believer, she says, well, my brother is a drug addict and God made that happen. Well, when you hear over and over again, all throughout your life, that God is in control, God is in control, God is in control, 
yeah, that's what you believe, okay? My brother's a drug addict, so God's in control. He must have made my brother that way. And it's an awful thing to that take place. But that's not true. God is all-powerful. God could control everything at any point, but he chooses not to. He chooses to give us this choice, this choice to follow him, this free will, or to, um, or to not, or to, to walk in sin. So God is all-powerful. I don't want to mistake that in any way, but the choice is ours. The choice is ours to follow him or to, um, or to not. The choice is ours to believe in his son or to not. It wasn't predetermined where we have no choice, where this hopeless takes, hopelessness takes place. And I think there's already a struggle with hopelessness, right? Where we struggle, you know, am I really saved? Can I really be used by God? Can I really be forgiven for all my sins? We already struggle enough with that. So I, I just want to make it super clear that this is a choice. Everything we have is a choice. It's not out of our control. And that God didn't predetermine who would be saved and who wouldn't. Um, and the other place that really strikes that is in Matthew. And, and I don't have it up on the slides, but I'll just talk through it. Um, in verse, or chapter 25, verse 41. You know, so this is where, Matt, where Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats. Um, and the sheep and the goats are, are all these people who claim to be Christians. But now he's going to separate them out. You know, who are really my followers and who are not. And, and to his followers, he rewards. But to those who are not, he, he um, well, we'll just pick it up in verse 41. Then the king turned to those on his left and said, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And that's so important. When God created this eternal fire, created hell, it was prepared for the devil and his demons, not for any person. The Bible also makes it clear that it's his will that no one should perish, but that everyone should repent of their sins. So there, I just want to just touch on that, that there is this, not this hopelessness with God, that it's not out of our control. It's our choice every step of the way. But God loves us so much that he gives us exactly what we ask for. So if we choose to live this life separated from him, he will allow that to happen. He will give us what we want, and you will spend eternity in hell separate from him, if that's what you want. That's what he does. He gives you your heart's desires. And so our hearts are not these uncontrollable things, these feelings that we have. No, our hearts are very controllable things that we can train our hearts. We can train our tongues. We can walk in the spirit. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. So, so that's it. That was where we end. Are there any questions? None? Kenny, do you have any questions? Did all that make sense to you? Oh, oh, never mind, I do. I wasn't paying attention to you, sorry. Um, <laughs> when you were talking about uh, Adam and you and how they ate from the, the tree, the tree um, and God said they were, you will surely die, yep. but they didn't. Oh, that's a great question. No, that does not mean he was lying. That is a great question. So he said, if you eat this tree, you shall surely die, right? That's what you're wondering. And then they ate of the tree, but then they still lived. But God wasn't speaking of a physical death. That physical death may have started, death and decay entered the world. But the death that really took place was a spiritual death. It was that they didn't believe God, that they know God. And it, to really explain it bluntly, you're calling God a liar. So God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree. 
this is what's best for you. And what do they do? Well, that tree looks pretty appetizing. I, I really want this extra knowledge that you're depriving me of, God. You're lying to me, God. This is what's best for me. Because God said it's, it's best for you not to eat it. So that's that spiritual death. They, they said, God, you're a liar. This is what's best for me. And now they're not in fellowship with him. They're not walking with him. So spiritually they had died. But then how did they become right with God? It was the same way that we become right with him. They believed in the Messiah to come. They believed in that seed, that promise of, of a man. And you see that if we were to go further on in Genesis, when Cain was born, Cain was their first son. Eve said, oh, here is the man, you know, the promise that this is God's promise already. No, God's promise wasn't going to come for another few, like 4,000 more years. And God's promise was Jesus. But I think that Adam and Eve received that, that the Messiah would come, they believed in him, and that's how they were made right with God. Same way we are. When we believe in Jesus, we're made right with God. So, Does that make sense? <laughs> so then they were no longer spiritually dead at that point. So we're all spiritually dead because we sinned, not physically dead, but at the end of our lives, the second death is if we don't believe in Jesus, then we spiritually die, and we're separated in hell apart from God. But if we believe in Jesus, we're given life, eternal life. Does that make sense? A little? Do you want me to explain it maybe a little better? No, I think I get it. So they didn't die. It wasn't a physical death, like boom, they're gone. Yeah, the bodies didn't die, but their spirit died. They were separated. They separated themselves from God. I got it. Yeah, so that's the the death God was talking about. Because before that, we read that God was walking in the garden with them, you know, walking with them. They're in fellowship with God. And now they've separated themselves from God. They went and hid from God, right? Because they were ashamed. Because they were no longer in that fellowship. They, they no longer had that spiritual everlasting life with God. That was the death. That second death. That was where, that's why Jesus says that you have to be born again. You know, he was talking to Nicodemus at the time, the Pharisee. We kind of went over this at the, one of the youth groups. And Nicodemus comes to him and says, you know, what must I do to be saved? He says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, I'm going to go back in my mom's stomach and be born again? And how does that work? And Jesus says, no. Spiritually speaking, you have to be born again. You have to receive Jesus as God. And now you have eternal life. You have this spiritual everlasting life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the weird churches started happening with the yeah. Like they did the whole... Remember, people would be like, go ahead. It's like... Yeah, you have your your physical body here, and you have your spiritual life, right? And your spiritual life is what lives forever. Because these bodies, we went over this, God promises us new bodies. Why? Because these are going to be old and wore out and done with. Decay. Decayed. But the new bodies will never decay. They'll live forever. <laughs> I might have blonde hair again. I used to have blonde hair like you. <laughs> I hope I always have blonde hair. Okay, I do want to. So the whole born again thing too. People get all weirded out about that because for a while people be born again. There, there was churches like, well, you can't. You have to like go. I I know I've seen it, read it. People, you have to act like you've gone inside the mother's womb again. Remember? Yeah. yeah, they did they that would, thing where they would even put them under sheets. They put them in stuff, sheets and make it super tight and make it like, weird. It all yeah, got to be weird. Rebirthed or something. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, another yeah, false yeah. teaching. I that. that was crazy. 
And God doesn't do weird. No. So it when was, weird things happen, weird happen, it's not it's God. Not. So I, so I'm not, it was just a thought, and I was like, and then as it was, because people, yeah, I just, so like in Genesis when it says, um, the, like the weeds and everything, like they, that was so easy, and then to make something beautiful is really hard. So I don't know, it's just like, well, we, we make our own choices, and sometimes when we, I don't know. Hard things, hard choices, um, well, I guess evil, kind of evil, it comes easily, I guess is what I'm saying. And yeah. then hard, and good seems to take, uh, it's, it's harder. It's harder to be good I than would, it is to be well, like bad. Is everything. that what you're saying? It, no, in everything. It's <laughs> even it, like choices. It's it more, like, well, more comes you know, natural. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the e- the hard the hard road is usually the the right choice is usually the harder road, right? Correct. Yeah, that's what you're saying, and you so see that so you see that with harder. creation. And it's kind of like is that like when it's narrow is the path, right? Things are extremely yeah. difficult when you. It's just like trying to grow a garden, like you were saying, is super hard. But weeds are like sprouting up like everywhere. It's like. There's no... Yeah, you don't have to do anything no to get those to grow. There's no thought process to doing evil. There yeah. is a thought process to doing the right. No, I don't want to say yeah. good. To do the right thing. Yeah. Is that uh, what I'm trying I to think say? I think I could go with that. Is that, that what I'm trying to say? That evil, our sinful natures come natural to us. Yes. And that the is, stepping out in faith, following, living in the spirit, following God, choosing to do those good works that he set out for us, but that's harder. Right. And it's a, but it's a choice. It's yes. almost like it's still a choice to do the wrong, but it's an easier choice. It's a harder right, choice to do what's right. And I, yeah, and I think you see that, yes, absolutely with creation. The weeds, the bad things grow up easily. Was, the good stuff that you want is like, hard work. And it, what God was telling them it's is that ridiculous. this is going to be like, no brainer, all this is going to be really easy, but for you to produce good, it's going to be yeah. very and how long, I think, I mean, we read in Genesis, it, it seems like, you know, just a couple of verses later, but how long Adam and Eve were in the garden walking with them and got to see all these good things that grew up easily, you know, For no, they didn't with no efforts, no work. Yeah, exactly. And now they got to see the other side of that. And now it's very hard. I think they very so much understood that. So is it appropriate that. to say, because I'm not super knowledgeable, um, right in the beginning, God gave us free will. Right. That's free will just went to boom. is that we, we made just... that choice. Oh, absolutely. Choice. Absolutely. Okay. And that's where people and ask. And when people like you were saying, they're like, oh, God, God allowed this to happen. You love blah, 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 blah. And people are dying in Sudan and blah, blah, blah. And how, the, how can this be a good God? You know? And, that, and God is. people come back to oh, all yeah. the time. And God does allow it to happen, and that's another allowed topic. But said. He doesn't, yeah, He doesn't cause it to happen. He right. didn't make that happen. He allowed it to happen. So we went over this in the men's study in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. The Israelites have, have turned away from God. They're worshiping idols, and this has gone on for a while. And God sent His prophets to turn their hearts back to Him. And then finally God says, okay, turn your hearts back to me now, or these bad things are going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to, pour out my judgment on you and it's not good but even after you've done all this evil all this wrong if you turn to me now I'll forgive you I won't I won't judge you I won't bring down this this judgment on you and they choose not to they choose to continue to walk in it so God said okay that that option is over here's the next option if you accept my judgment and you go into captivity 
your life will be good. You'll live a productive life. Life will be good for you. If you choose to stay where you are, life will be extremely hard and awful for you. So there's some that choose to go into captivity. Life was good for them. But there's a small remnant that chose to stay where they were. So no, God, you're lying. The enemy comes and surrounds them, fortifies the city. This goes on for years. They're out of food. This great famine is swept through. Um, and it gets so bad to the point where, you know, women are eating their own babies. And, and the king is, is so upset because two women come to him, hey, we ate her baby yesterday and today, right? We ate my baby yesterday and today we're supposed to eat hers and she's not sharing. That's how bad it is. Well, did God cause that to happen? Well, no. He told him before, this is going to happen. But all you have to do is turn away. Turn away from your sins and this won't happen. Except my judgment, this won't happen. But they chose to continue. Nope, God, you're a liar. You're a liar. And now it's happened. Well, he didn't cause that. He knew it was going to happen. They chose to allow that to happen, if that makes sense. And it's the same now. We, right. God, God is always pointing us. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus, number one. And number two... Once we receive Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit is, is convicting us of our sins, and it's our choice to listen or not. And if we don't, there are bad consequences. Um, when we choose to live a life separate from Him, when we choose to live in sin, you know, with alcohol, drugs, you know, sex, you name it, um, there are bad consequences. And, and it's not that God did that. He's pointing us the opposite way. We chose to do that, if that makes sense. So, but there are people, yes, well, God's in control of all. No, he's all powerful, but he gave the control to us. The, the choice is all ours. It's all ours to receive him or not, to walk in righteousness or to walk in sin. I think it's confusing because people say God is in control. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Hear it all saying, yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it can be very confusing. I even get confused myself, but... I think for me, it goes along back to the free will. Yeah. And you could maybe say that God's in control of the believer's life, that he's going to work things for good. But he's not saying that everything's good. If he has to work it for good, then there's bad things that are going to happen. He had to turn to good in our lives. But for the believer, you can have confidence that God is working in your life. Absolutely. The unbeliever is not that way. God, God is not working everything for good in their lives. And I think even for, like, bad things happen to good bad things happen to believers and it's that hope and that faith that gets you through those hard times I mean when you look at like I mean go to Nazi Germany I mean those people were, were good people they believed and they I mean their stories are horrific oh, yeah. they never gave up faith they, they, many of them in concentration camps horrible things happening to them came back yeah. out on the other side yeah. I mean and have carried on and yeah. Christianity, even though they were from the Jewish faith, I mean, it, their their faith got them through that. Absolutely. And it, so it wasn't they didn't choose bad. It happened to them. Bad things yeah. happen to people that to God's people. Yep. But God again makes its promises true. So out of you think of that awful situation that takes place where six million people are killed mm-hmm. uh, for their faith. But what does God do? God used that situation, and because of that, the nation of Israel became a nation again in 1948. You know, so He uses this awful thing to, to bring something good to them. Which was said in the Bible: Israel will become a nation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you get to see prophecy fulfilled in your, in maybe not in our lifetime, but not far from it. You know, 1948, God said that the nation of Israel would happen, and it's the only way that God can. 
no other people group other than the Jews have been persecuted the way they have, have been spread throughout the world the way they have, but still maintain their heritage, their language, and their religion. No other people group has ever done that and come back to their nation. That's never happened before, not even close. They never gave up their faith. Yep. And God chose them, not because they're anything special, just because he chose them, but he made all these promises, and he'll see them through all the way to the end. And just like the promises he makes to us, and he'll see them all through. That, that is one nation we need to support. Like we, that is beyond the shadow of a doubt because this is where's our foundation from. Yeah. And the Bible makes it clear that those who you bless the nation of Israel, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. So, so yes. So. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Any other prayer requests that I don't have down already? Nothing new? You got one? Thank the Lord that Sparky got better. Thank you for healing Sparky. We, <laughs> have, praying for Sparky. we have been praying for Sparky. Yeah. Yes. So, so we can take Sparky off the list now? Sparky's a good heart. We might keep him healthy. All right. That sounds good. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to worship you, um, to, to press into your word, um, to just really look at a, a deeper understanding of, of what you have for us, of how much you truly do love us, and how the choice is ours to believe in you, um, to, to believe in your son, to walk in faith. Um, it's all a choice. To love, it's all a choice, and the choice is all ours. Um, and, and you don't leave us alone. You give us your Holy Spirit who's praying for us. You give us Jesus who is pleading for us at your right hand. You, you've given us every opportunity to be successful in you, through you, because of you. And I'm so thankful for all of that. Lord, I ask that you would bring healing to Matt's knees, that you would bring comfort um, and guidance and healing for Tim, that you'd bring comfort to Austin, Joey, and Chris, that you would um, I just ask for patience for Cherry and Shannon and the family, um, that you would give them patience and wisdom and strength and to, to go through what's, what's going on in their lives. That you would work this for good. Uh, I ask you to bring peace for David, that you would bring healing to Christina's heart and guidance for the doctors in this heart procedure that's coming up, that you would grant her just a peace to go through this surgery knowing you are in control of her life, that she loves you and, and believes in you. I've asked you to continue to bring healing to Tyler's shoulder, continue to bring healing to Rodney's back, um, and bring healing to Leslie's eyes. I'm thankful for the healing that you gave to Sparky and that you would continue to, to watch over him. Um, I ask you to bring healing um, to Bonnie, that you would give the doctors wisdom in guiding them through treatments um, and any further procedures, you would guide their hands. Um, I've just asked you would guide everyone that's going through the, the PTSD and EMDR counseling, that you would give them patience um, to make it through the counseling, that you would just bring success and healing and um, just guidance through this counseling in the way that only you can. I ask you would watch over Kate's procedure, um, that you would, I'm thankful for the healing that you brought to my back, um, and I ask you would give us strength um, and guide each one of us. I ask you would give strength and guidance for Ming um, I ask you would watch over Ralph and his health. You would guide each of our lives. Speak to us. Give us the right words to speak this week. Um, guide us in, in friendship and in good works that only you can do because of you. Um, 
as he would watch over the sheriff's department and the police department. He would keep them safe physically. He would also keep them safe spiritually. They're on the front lines of the of spiritual battle. Protect their families, Lord. Keep their families safe um, and draw them to you. It's in your name. I pray all these things. I also ask for guidance on the on the church in the South Sudan of the Uganda that we can come alongside. You would open up those doors. And I ask that you would open up the doors for this stork bus ministry. That you would um, just put all that together. That our hearts are for you. Our hearts are to serve you. And that you would guide us in that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Should we sing one last song? Call it good. Yeah.